it's a little bit, little bit overwhelming. But uh, uh, before we get started again, I, I want you to, uh, if you've got a bulletin, you had one of these um, commitment cards inside of there. And I want you just to take it out. And if you do not have one, would you just raise your hand? We want to get one to you so that you can look at it. Does everybody have one of these? Now, I want you to look on the front where it talks about uh, six questions to ask yourself. Now, we've been in this series since uh, we kicked it off uh, in April. And we've been talking about daring faith. And we shared some of the goals and some of the visions and, and some of the things that we want to see done and happen and how God wants to use us and, and, and some of the stuff that, uh, that, that we're expecting and believing God to do. But this card we're going to have on June the 11th, what we're calling Commitment Sunday. And Commitment Sunday is a day where we're going to uh, receive an offering and also receive pledges because in this, in this, in this campaign, it is a 36-month campaign. It's three years that we're committing ourselves to. And one of the things that we're looking to do is that we're looking to raise. Now, I know that some folks are thinking that's crazy. You can't do this. And, and, and I'm going to talk about that just a little bit uh, in a little bit later. But we're going to raise a million dollars in the next three years. Now, I know a lot of folks are thinking, well, how in the world are you going to do that? Well, we cannot do that without the help of God. You know, one man said, dare to do something so great for God that it is doomed for failure if he's not in it. Now, I'm ready to jump off the deep end. I mean, I'm ready to go after it. It's time for us to really step up and step in and to become the church that, that he wants us to be. But we're going to receive an offering and uh, we're going to tally everything up, and we're going to talk about that on June the 11th. But for, for those of you that, that have this, on this front page, it talks about six questions to ask yourself. What I want you to do with this card is I want you to take this card home with you. I want you to ask yourself these six questions, and I want you to ask the Lord how he would have you to contribute during this Daring Faith campaign. Now, there's a lot of different ways. This campaign doesn't just deal with finances, but it does include finances. It is a three-year campaign of growing, sowing, and going. Now, we already have a plan for what we're going to do when we see this miracle come in, and I'll share that in just a few minutes. But I want you to take this and just sincerely and genuinely just ask yourself these questions and ask the Lord how he would have you to contribute, and participate during this campaign. This has basically all been prep work for what we're about to step into, but this is something that I want you to use and, and take it home with you, pray with it, pray about it, bring it back with you on June the 11th, okay? Now today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about daring to be generous. Daring to be generous. And this is not a money message. Generosity... Uh, has so much more to do than just financial giving. Now, it, it does include that, but being generous has more to do with time, the, thing, the way that you spend your time, how that you use your talents, and then how that you use your treasure. And we're going to talk about those things. So if you'll turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, we're going to read verses 1 through 7. 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, 
We're going to read verses 1 through 7. I'll give you a second just to get there. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 says, this is the Apostle Paul writing, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace of God that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of, listen to this, this is the situation they found themselves in. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy, now listen to this, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So what kind of church are we talking about here in Macedonia? A church that is experiencing persecution for their faith, and a church that, as the Bible says, in extreme poverty. Now listen, a lot of folks in our area, and maybe there's some here that considers themselves to be extremely poor, but when you consider the, 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 the wealth of everybody and the income of everybody in the world, 7.3 billion people, if you make $800 to $3,000 a year, you're considered lower class. If you make $3,000 to $10,000 a year, you're considered middle class. If you make $10,000 a year to $24,999 a year, you're considered upper class. If you make $25,000 a year, you are in the top 10% of the richest people in the world. And if you make $50,000 a year... You are in the top 1% of the richest people in the entire world. Now, we would say that we are not rich, that we are, that we are poor. But listen, the poorest in America have more than those that are in other areas and other countries. And so, out of all the population, where do you find yourself? Now, this was a very convicting statistic when I read it. Because now when the Bible talks about warning the rich people, he's talking about you and he's talking about me. We automatically think somebody like you know, Donald Trump or Bill Gates or, 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 or uh, Steve Jobs or somebody. But on a global scale, on a worldwide scale, on a complete 7.3 billion population scale, you are rich. Now the Bible says these people were not rich. Rich. It says that they were in a severe trial. They're being persecuted. He said that, that they have, uh, are in extreme poverty. But it says, in these conditions, it welled up within them rich generosity. And it goes on to say, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able. Now listen to this. And they even give beyond their ability entirely on their own. In other words, they just didn't give. They went beyond their ability to give. Now listen, I've been in 17 countries around the world. And the poorest people in the world, I have found to be the most generous people. Now, I was traveling in South Sudan a couple of years ago. And while I was there, they were going to give me... Uh, and prepare for me uh, an offering that they wanted to honor in terms of, of, of me visiting them. So they had no money. All they had was food. 
And there's no way that you can go on this trip and not eat the food that they've prepared for you. Now, listen, I'm not saying that the food was good. But I'm saying when people go three days or seven days without eating just because they hear that you're coming to visit them and they want to give you something as an act of honor, you know what you do? You eat it. You know how humbling it is to look into the face of people who have nothing, who sleep in a mud hut, but their greatest joy is to give you a meal as an act of honor. That would be a good example of people giving beyond their ability. So this is the kind of church that, 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 that Paul is talking about. He said they're at their extreme poverty. He, he said their severe trial. He said it's turned up and welled up a rich, into rich generosity. And he said they gave, they gave beyond their own ability. Now listen to this verse 4. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service of the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord. You will never, ever be a generous people or a generous person until you first of all give yourself to God. Now I'm talking about all of you, not just part of you. And when we talk about the area of, of, of giving or, finance, or finances, we kind of shriek back and we don't really want to consider that as part of ourselves. Listen, your billfold is connected to your heart. I promise you that. For where your treasure is there, your... Well, I can't preach that, but it says they exceeded their... First of all, they gave themselves to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus just as he had earlier made from the beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But listen to what he says here. But since you excel in everything, he's talking about the Corinthian church now. He says, since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love we have kindled in you, see also, listen, look at this. See also that you excel in the grace of generous giving. He says, look, you have all knowledge. You have all faith. He says, you, you have all, all, all wisdom. He said, you've got all love. And, and it's there. you possess all these things. He says, now I want you to excel in the grace of giving, and he used the example of the Macedonian church as a people who give generously even beyond their ability. So I'm going to talk just for a few moments on daring to be generous. Would you pray with me? Father, what a privilege it is to stand here today and declare your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the examples of the Macedonian church and the messages to the Corinthian church. I pray, God, today that you uh, turn us inside out and upside down and help us to empty of ourselves all that we are holding on to because generosity begins at the place of a surrendered heart. And so, God, I ask you today that you would cause your word to come alive, that you would speak to us, give us ears to hear, 
eyes to see and hearts that understand and wills that are willing to obey. We receive your word today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Daring to be generous. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about the subject of generosity. It's a major theme in the Bible. As a matter of fact, it is the largest or the most talked about theme in all of Scripture. You know, if you were to do a word study and you were to study the word, let's say, faith. You know, the word faith is talked about in Scripture around 246 times. We know that faith is an important thing. Without faith, what? It's impossible to please God. So faith is important to the Christian life. If you were to do a word search on the, on the word hope, hope is important. The word hope is used about 185 times. If you were to use the word love, now we know we know God is a God of love. We think that everything's about love, and, and that, that's true. God is a God of love. But if you did a word search on how many times the word love is used, you would find that it was used 733 times. But when you do a word search on the word give or giving, you will find out that it is used 2,285 times in the Bible. We're talking about four times more than the, the, the word faith. We're talking about almost 200 times more when we're talking about the word love or hope. But the Bible speaks more about giving, about giving and generosity than any other subject. Now, why does the Bible talk so much about giving and generosity? Because when you truly have a heart of generosity, it will fulfill faith, hope, and love in the expression in which it is given. And what I mean by that is, look, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. So when you truly have a heart of generosity then you realize that, you know what, you're going to use that. Your heart is to be a blessing. It's a joy. We, we read in the scripture here in 2 Corinthians, the, the Macedonian church was in a severe trial. They're being severely persecuted. We see that they're in extreme poverty. And he says, you know what? But they had a joyful heart, and it welled up within them into rich generosity. They gave. They wanted to be a part of the missionary work that was going on through the life of Paul. They were grateful that the gospel had reached them. They were thankful that the Lord had saved them. And so they were eager to get involved. You see, a grateful people, you know, you don't have to ask people to worship God who are genuinely grateful. When you are genuinely grateful, you don't have to beg those folks to stand up and clap their hands and lift their hands and praise God and say hallelujah. A grateful heart will well up and overflow into praise and to thanksgiving. See, you don't, you don't have to ask people to, to be obedient to to the Word of God when they are thankful for what the Lord has done for them. The biggest tragedy I see in the American church is people have forgotten the condition their life was in before they ever met the Lord. For some reason, when we get saved, we experience a, a, a radical change. We're grateful to God. The sky's bluer. The grass is greener. We love Jesus. And you know what? Everybody looks perfect and they act perfect. We don't even know that problems exist. 
list. But all of a sudden, we get in church a little while, and we begin to learn a little bit of the Scriptures, and we can quote Scriptures. And the next thing we do is we become Bible thumpers and fault finders, and we, we become experts at everything that God says that we shouldn't be an expert of. And so what we see when it talks about generosity is that it overflows, not just in the area of finances, but in the area of worship, in the area of praise, in, in the area of obedience, in the areas of ministry. In every area of your life, generosity is simply love in action. The Bible says love not in word only, but in deed and in truth. He said, not just in word, don't just say that you love somebody. What if I said I loved my wife, but I never expressed it? A lot of us, you know what? We say we love God, but we never even express it. We don't, we don't want to really engage in worshiping, and we don't really engage in being obedient. We don't want to read our Bibles, and we don't really want to pray. And listen, if there's no desire in your heart to do those things, then maybe you ought to consider that maybe it's a possibility that you're not saved. Because this is what Jesus said. When a person gets saved, it will be like a, a spring, a, a well springing up within them and a river flowing out of them. Listen, there should be evidence and proof that you are a genuine believer and generosity is one of those ways in which the fruit of faith is expressed. Generosity is love and action. Now, listen to this. The world-renowned psychiatrist Carl, uh, Carl Menninger says this, Giving is an extremely important criteria of mental health. Generous people are rarely mentally ill. Now, since I'm not talking about anybody here, because everybody here is an extremely generous person, I want to talk about that just for the sake of the mental health of the person sitting beside you, just in case they're not a generous person. And this psychiatrist said, you know what? Giving and generosity is directly connected to being healthy and having strong mental health. Now, becoming a generous person begins in the area of stewardship. Now, stewardship is another, uh, is another topic or theme in the Bible that is talked about extremely, extremely amount of times, a lot of times, okay? As a matter of fact, you can find stewardship in every single book in the Bible. Stewardship is important because stewardship teaches us that God owns everything, everything that we have, not just our billfold, our car, our house, our clothes, but the very air that we breathe. God is the giver of everything. Now, John chapter 3, verse 27 says that a man would receive nothing, at least he'd receive it from heaven. In other words, everything that we have, God has given to us. Are, are you still with me? Now, when we consider everything that God has given us, when we consider that, when we live a simple life of waking up in the morning and recognizing that, you know what? Today is a good day regardless of the circumstances that I find myself in. You know what? I know, you know what? Today is a good day. You know, I have, I've got some pain. I've got two herniated discs in my neck. But you know what? Today's a good day. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it really hurts. And sometimes it really, really hurts. But you know what? I realized that I should be dead. I realized that I shouldn't even be alive today. 
I realize that there's no reason why I opened my eyes this morning. It's not because I deserved it or that I'm a good person. But you know what? By the grace of God, when I hit rock bottom, I live through it. So I live every day of my life from the perspective that if, the God, if God doesn't do anything else for me, He's already done enough. And so you know what? I'm going to live a life that is thankful and appreciative. So when you consider that, what has God done for you? What has the Lord done for you? You need to stir up the memory of where you were when the Lord came and saved you. I don't even care if you were raised in church your whole life. That is irrelevant. You know what? There are no good people in heaven. Only forgiven ones. There's, there are no good people in heaven. Only saved ones. And so we need to realize something. Where we would be at if not for the grace of God. And when we realize that, we will start to live a life of appreciation. And when we think about what God has given us, then it gives us a sense of responsibility. Why do you live where you live? Why do you work where you work? Why do you uh, go to church where you go to church? Why do you have money? Why do you have possessions? Why did God give you these relationships? Everything God has given you, we have to look through eyes of thankfulness and appreciation because that's the only way we'll begin to understand stewardship, and stewardship is the beginning of living a generous life. Are you still with me? So when we consider this, we have to realize, you know what? God has given me what I have. Now he's given me some responsibilities on what I should do with it. How many of you wake up in the morning and say, you know what? God, my life is yours. All over again. God, today is the day that you've made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. God, you've given me this day. Bring people across my path. Help me to uh, encourage them. You know what I pray? I say, Jesus, smile through me. Jesus, wave at somebody through me. Jesus, hug somebody through me. Jesus, you know, just, just in any way, I want you to, to, to reveal yourself to those that don't know you. Because you know what? There's a lot of people that are discouraged. There's a lot of people that are negative. There's a lot of people that have went through trials. There's a lot of people who have experienced loss. And listen, the way that you can act like that every day is just assume that every person that crosses your path has had about seven bad days in a row, and then now you're on the scene. Generosity. Now, generosity leads... To responsibility. It leads to having a focused life because you have what, you're, what you have because God has given you that and now He wants you to use it to reach others. Now, so if generosity begins with an understanding of stewardship, what's stewardship? Stewardship is the proper management of every area in your, of your life for the purpose of advancing the kingdom of God. Stewardship doesn't just affect part of your life. Stewardship affects all of your life. And the Christian life is like this. The hardest thing you will ever do is learn how to surrender your life every day to Jesus. Because at salvation, there's a moment where you surrender everything to Him. And then after that, there's a moment-by-moment moment surrendering of your life 
every single day. That's a very difficult thing to do. And when we're talking about surrendering to God, we're talking about surrendering every area of our life, which includes finances. If Jesus is not the Lord of your finances, Jesus is not the Lord at all. Listen, if Jesus is not the Lord of your relationships, if he's not the Lord over your life, and you submit that to him, then you know what? You're living for yourself. Now, listen, when, how many of you actually meant it when you give your life to Jesus? If you really meant that, then you don't belong to yourself anymore. That means that you have become God's property. And Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. He said, you are bought with a price. What, what did he buy you with? The Bible says we were not bought with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but by the precious blood of the Lamb. Paul said, you know what? You were bought by the blood, by the shed blood, by the sacrificial blood, by the suffering Savior who bled out for you. And then he says this, and you were not your own. Therefore, therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. That's what he said. He said you're bought with a price. As a matter of fact, you don't even have an opinion. You can't say no, Lord, and mean it at the same time. Jesus speaking to some people in in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. He says, why do you call me Lord and not do the things which I ask? He said, why do you do that? The Bible says that there's people that will honor him with their lips and worship Him with their mouths, but their hearts would be far from God. He's talking about church people. He said there's going to be people that only give lip service. And listen, if all you do is give lip service, then you're in trouble. Because you know what? The blood that Jesus shed places a demand on your life. And He says, you know what? I want all of you good, bad, and ugly. That's a different way of living your life. I know it's not easy to... To hear these things, but, it, but it's still true. Here's what Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians 5.15. He says, since Christ died for all, then those who live, I love this, should no longer live for themselves, but for Him. He said, if Jesus died for you, he said the corresponding action, if you've given your life to the Lord, is that you would no longer live for yourself. But you would live for him who died for you and was raised from the dead. Now think about that. Now how many of you don't live for themselves? You know, Paul gives us a warning in 2 Timothy 3. He talks about that in the last days there will be perilous times. And he lists all these bad things. He says people will be haters of God. He says, you know what, they will be disobedient to parents. He said they'd have a form of godliness, but they would deny the power. He lists all these bad things, but the first thing he mentions in that list, he said, in the last days, perilous times shall come, and people shall be lovers of themselves. I mean, listen, I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, I read the Bible, and I humble myself and say, God, is that me? Is that me? I give you the statistics about, about, you know, the lower class, middle class, and upper class. Let me ask you a question. What class do you find yourself in? Most of us, not all, but most of us, will be in the top 10%, if not the top 1%. And so listen, now that I know this is true, I have to read the Bible in the sense that, you know, when he says, warn those who are rich to be rich with good deeds and generosity. Now I'm thinking, God, am I even a generous person? I've got what I've got. Now, God, uh, you know, uh, 
I don't want it to change my, my lifestyle. I mean, that's a convicting thing. I bet you wish I'd never told you that. But once you get exposed to truth now, you become responsible for it. So what are you going to do with that? Stewardship begins with lordship. See, we've got, look, we, we, we learn how to be churchy. You know, we can have a good time in church whether God shows up or not. But we've got to give people more than a God they can feel. We have to give them a Lord they can follow. Let me ask you a question. Who are you following today? Are you following a feeling? Are you following a man? Are you following money? Are you following popularity? Are you following influence? What are you following? More importantly, who are you following? Okay. Now, stewardship can be broken down into three areas. We'll get through these pretty quickly. Again, we're talking about generosity. It begins with stewardship. Number one, first area deals with time. If you're going to be a generous person, you are going to have to learn how to give time to the Lord, the Lord's house, and the Lord's church. You're going to have to learn how to do that. Listen, I know everybody's busy. But look, if you're too busy to give time to the Lord and you're too busy to give time to the Lord's house, and you're too busy to give time to the Lord's church, you know what? You're way too busy. You need to let go of some things. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his... What, what, look, what, what, you work 70, 60, 70, 80 hours a week. You work yourself to death. My question is, is it getting you any closer to where you want to go? And where are you going? You don't want to work your way up the ladder of success or the ladder of retirement only to find out that the ladder's leaned against the wrong building. You can have it all and nothing at the same time. He said, what does it profit you if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Jesus said, he who seeks to save his life will lose it. He who loses it for his sake, the same shall save it. That's what the gospel is. I love that about the gospel. Maybe I'm weird, but I was talking to Clay the other day. I said, you know what? I love the fact that the gospel places a demand on you. He says, you know what? The gospel is worth giving it all. Jesus, I love that. People think I'm weird because I go to missions trips and I go into persecuted areas and I do these things. Or on the other end, they think that I'm radical because I do that. The truth is, I'm neither. I'm normal. The Bible says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He didn't say it was for a selected few. He said, go. You know what I did? I went. And so that didn't make me special. It doesn't make me radical. It makes me normal. Since when does obedience make you special? Obedience doesn't make us special. Obedience makes us normal. And Paul, or this is what Moses wrote, Psalms 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Listen to me. You will never understand the significance of time until you understand you're going to be held accountable for how you spend it. I want you to, I want you to listen to that. You'll never understand the significance of time until you understand that you're going to be held accountable for how you spend it. So when you get to heaven, he's going to ask you two questions. The first one is this. What did you do with Jesus Christ? Second question will be, what did you do with the remaining days I gave you? The reason you don't get saved and caught up is because he must have a purpose and a calling for your life. 
And it includes so much more than just going to church. A lot of us feel good about ourselves just because we go to church. It encompasses so much more. Listen, the answer to that first question will determine where you spend eternity. The answer to the second question will determine what you'll be doing throughout eternity. We're going to be held accountable for it. This is what it said in Romans chapter 12, or chapter 14, verse 12. It says, so all of us shall give an account of our lives to God. Now, the reason it's important that you give your time is because time is more important than money. You can always make more money, but you cannot make more time. You can't save time. You can't spend time. You can't lose time. All you can do is invest in the priorities that will reach and help you obtain the maximum amount of effectiveness for God. I don't want to stand before God and Him open up the books and say, Donald, I had all this in store for you in City of Hope Church if they and you would just have believed me. To me, that would be almost like hell. It'd be almost like hell. Because listen, the worst life a Christian can lead is a life without knowing God's purpose. And the worst death a Christian can die is dying having not fulfilled that purpose. God has given us a vision. God has blessed us with where we are right now. We've come a long way from where we used to be. We're not everything we're going to be, but we're definitely not what we used to be. We are on the journey together to something that is far greater And God is saying to you, it's going to require more of your time. Listen, I know what it's like to be busy. I'm a full-time pastor. I own my own business. I got five children. They play sports. They've got practices. They've got awards programs. They got all that stuff. And then I've got hospital visits. I've got message preparation. I've got counseling, I've got weddings, I've got funerals. Listen, everybody's busy. I didn't say that to to make you look at me and say, wow, you're somebody. I'm just saying, you know what? We're all busy. But the Lord's going to be first in my life. I'm going to follow Him. I'm going to do what He wants me to do. So time is important. Now listen, a church fails to fulfill its purpose basically because of two reasons. Number one, because of poor leadership. In other words, the people that are leading are not capable or competent enough to lead. Now, the second reason a church fails is because the people that are a part of that church do not engage and do not begin to help fulfill their own personal responsibility and walking out that vision. It requires involvement, participation. It requires you to invest your time. And listen, time is more important than money. I talked to Zach last uh, last week, and he was saying, I appreciate the offering and and all that that, that you did for me, the room, all that stuff. I said, listen, Zach, you know what? What you did for us, money cannot buy. What you did for us, money cannot buy. And I'm telling you right now, you've got something to live for that money cannot buy. If your greatest motivation is getting your needs met and your bills paid and having a little bit of money left over, let me tell you something, you have just completely got off the path of what it means to follow Jesus. Man, it's quiet in here. I paused for an amen, but it didn't come. It's all right. Say, preach on, preacher. So it's going to require time. Listen, the first step 
of learning how to live a generous life, and remember, this is for the mental health of the person sitting beside you. The first step in living a generous life is giving time to God, His house, and His work. Now, we've been on a daring faith challenge. Now, here's the goal that we have, all right? One of the goals that we have is to have all of our ministries fully staffed with volunteers. And right now, I can tell you that we need volunteers in every single ministry we have. But most most needy are our children's ministry, our nursery, A to Z Learning Center, children's church, pre-team, and then especially our youth ministry. Now listen to this. Brian has a few people that's helping him. And he buses in. He illegally buses in every week between 40 and 50 kids. And I'm talking about their wilder bucks. How many fights have you had up to this point? Four. But what a great opportunity it is to reach these kids. But he needs help. He buses in 40 to 50 kids every week in two 15-passenger buses. He sent me a picture one time, and he, and he did a selfie. He said, look, he had 29 kids on one bus. Don't put this on the radio or don't go repeat this. We'll edit that out, all right? But, but he, needs, he needs help. You know what he told me yesterday? He said, I have to turn down people. Kids almost every single week because I don't have enough bus drivers. Surely the goodness. Now, I know the attendance is low right now. But on any given month, we have at least 150 people that attend church here. Surely out of 150 people, we can get some help. I want you to pray about that. I want you to pray about that. that, that, that's, that that's important. Now, here, here's the second thing. The second thing it involves, it involves talent. God has given everybody gifts, talents, and abilities that he wants to use in helping fulfill the purpose. Now listen to this. The gifts, talents, and abilities God gave you are to be used to serve other people. See, Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but I come to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. Listen, you're never more like Jesus than when you're serving others. You're never more. Jesus, he served and he gave. Serving and giving is what it means to follow Jesus. You need to give time. You need to use your talents. Now listen to this. Saved people serve people. How many of you are here today because somebody invited you to church and when they invited you to church, you just so happened to hear a message about the gospel, you responded and now you're saved? None of us, none of us got here by ourselves. Have you ever seen a turtle on a fence post? If you have, I promise you it didn't get there by itself. And neither have you. None of us are self-made people. Somebody has helped us along the journey. They didn't have to be a, a, a preacher or a pastor. Listen, it could be an aunt, an uncle, a Sunday school teacher. It could be a neighbor. It doesn't matter. Listen, we're here today because somebody invited us. And one of our goals during Daring Faith Campaign is to see 300 people saved over the next three years. 100 people a year. Now, we've got seven right now. 
and on our way for 93 more. But it don't happen if you don't get involved in inviting. You know why people got saved Easter Sunday? People took the time to invite them. I don't understand why we don't want to invite when we know that people are dying without the gospel. So we need to use our talents. Another goal that we have is to see 75% of all our members involved in ministry. Let me ask you this question. Who are you serving and where are you serving? If you're not serving anybody and you don't have a place to serve or you need to know where the beginning starts, it starts by attending a next step. It's four simple classes that will take you from being a tender to involved in the ministry in four weeks. It's important that, 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 that we do that. And so listen, if, you're, if you know you should be serving and you're not serving, then you know what? The Bible says it's my job and responsibility to confront your selfishness. As your pastor, I'm saying, stop being selfish. Stop being selfish. Save people. Serve people. Get involved in the ministry. That's another daring faith goal. Now, here's the last one. The last one is this. We're going to be a, a good steward, and we're going to learn how to be a generous person. It's going to involve finances. Learning how to be a generous person includes learning how to know how to give financially. Now, I know this makes a lot of people feel uncomfortable, but you know what? If you do feel uncomfortable about this, then maybe that's something that God is dealing with you because we don't put pressure on give people here. We don't put pressure. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, if you feel pressure to give, don't give it anyways. He said, don't give grudgingly. He said, don't, don't give it out of compulsion. In other words, you know what? I, the preacher preached on giving, and I just recognized I, I hadn't paid my tithe. He said, just keep it. Because giving has more to do with your attitude than it does with your amount. Listen, we came from nothing. I came from nothing. As we started in a, in a, in a, in a storefront church where, where Little Caesars is at. And then we moved to the beautiful Immaculate Feed store. Uglier than sin. But we saw people get saved. Then we moved to the strip mall. Now we've moved to a church. This is the first time that we've ever owned anything. But God's been good to us. First message I preached was talking about don't jump ship. Stay in the boat. After I got preaching, God is my witness. Family got up and said, God's called us to go somewhere else. Did you hear the message? I mean... So listen, my, my pastoral tenure started out by shrinking the church. It's true. But look where we're at now. But the truth is, it's never been about what we have. It's been about who we have. When you have Jesus, you have everything. And when you understand that he owns everything and we're responsible for everything that he's given us, you know what? We don't worship the building. We worship God. And so we got responsibility. Why, why did he let us move here? Why do we have a learning center? Do you know that we have the only Christ-centered learning center in, in our area? I mean, there's one up in, in Redbird, but this is a, the only one in, in the county. Besides, and you know what? It's meeting a need. And you know what? We have about 40-some kids that are there. It's an amazing thing. Probably the best thing that's happened in the last two years. But you know what? We don't celebrate those things enough. i got to hurry. There's a thousand things I could say about generosity and finances, but I'm just going to give you five really quick. Number one, this is on your outline, you flip it over. 
when this is over. Number one, generosity makes me like Jesus. Jesus said the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now listen to this. The more godly you become, the more generous you become. That's what the Bible says. The more godly you become, look, stinginess is the result of unbelief. Fear is the result of unbelief. A lot of people don't tithe because they're afraid that God's not going to provide for them. I've never in my life seen anybody that was a faithful tither that suffered because of it. Now listen, the more godly you become, more generous you become. Number two, generosity draws me closer to God. Now how's that true? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your... You know what? I have no interest in Apple or Microsoft or any of those companies. But if all of a sudden I were to start investing money and purchasing stock, what do you think I'll be doing? Talk to me. How often do you think I'd be looking at that? Why? You invest what interests you. The reason a lot of people... Don't, don't give, and the reason that a lot of people don't, don't care about the kingdom, they have nothing invested. No time, they don't use their talents, they don't give anything. You know, 40% of believers don't give anything to God. And I'm not trying, I'm not preaching condemnation, I'm just saying, listen, I want you to understand, the more you give, the bigger your heart grows. The more you invest, the more interested you become in what's going on here. Because you invest what interests you. Number three, or C. Generosity demonstrates my faith. I'm not going to read that whole scripture. You've got it on your notes. But basically what Malachi is saying here, the tithe is the first 10%. And when you give the first 10% to God, it is an act of faith because what you're saying is, I'm going to honor you first with the first 10%, and I have faith that whatever is left over is going to be more than enough to meet my needs. So it demonstrates your faith. In other words, here's what the Bible said. You can prove God's existence through giving of the tithe. He said, test me in this. What does he say? Test me. What does it mean to test God? It's the only time in the Bible that he says, test me. He said, test me in this. Test me in, in, in your giving. Test me in the tithe. Test me. See if I will not do this for you. You can prove God's existence simply by giving financially. Here's the fourth thing. Generosity reveals my character. Generosity reviews, uh, uh, reveals my character. One of the ways that God tests our faithfulness and trustworthiness to Him is in the area of finances. Now why, listen, why finances? Listen to this. We spend so much time making money, saving money, spending money, thinking about money that we build our entire lives around it. It is at the core of everything we do. Now, this is what Jesus said. Look at this. Whoever cannot be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is, not, is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with very much. So if you have not been trustworthy and handling worldly wealth, what do you think he's talking about here? Talk to me. If you've not been trustworthy handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? God says the way you handle your money will determine what you'll be doing in heaven. 
Because that leads me to the fifth thing. Fifth thing is, generosity will be rewarded in heaven. Four times Jesus says in Scripture, lay up your treasures in heaven. Lay up your treasures in heaven. Look at what it says here. Tell them to use their money to do good. That they should be rich in good works and should give happily to those who are in need. He's talking about the poor. Always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. By doing this, they will be storing up real treasure for themselves in heaven. It is the only safe investment for eternity. And they will be living a fruitful Christian life down here as well. You know, sometimes I wish those, those scriptures wouldn't even be in the Bible. You know what I'm saying? But he says, you know what? If you're generous, it'll be rewarded in heaven. Jesus said, lay up your treasures in heaven. Now, I'm going to close with this. You know, during the next three years, I, I just talked to you about that earlier. One of our goals is to raise a million dollars. Now, I want you to get your mind off of the money and get it onto the Lord. Because the only way this will be possible is if you participate in faith as God leads you and I myself. So, I know that that's a big goal. Now, how are we going to do this with where we're at right now? On June the 11th, that's two weeks from today, we're going to have what's called Commitment Sunday. I passed out those cards to you, and in those cards, I give you just some scriptures and some questions to ask yourself just to be praying about what God wants you to do. I'm not saying that you should do this, you should, I'm just saying pray and ask God what he wants you to do. And then bring those cards back and God will say, okay, I want you to give X amount for this amount of time, so on and so forth, and you know what? That, that's good. Now, here's our, here's our goal. Our goal is to raise a million dollars in three years. Currently, Again, out of 150 people that attend here monthly, only 34 people actively and consistently gave every month in 2016. Now, I don't know who those people are. I didn't look it up. So, out of 150 people, we have 34 people that consistently give. Now, how can we raise a million dollars if all we have is 34 people that's giving monthly. I'm going to tell you how we can do that. We can do it. Now, let me explain this to you. How, how can we do this? One way of doing this is if those that give right now doubled what they gave for the next three years. If they doubled it, we would raise a million dollars. Now, I don't think God wants it to be like that. But mathematically, that could happen. Now, another way that we could raise a million dollars is that we could double the current number of tithers from 34 to 68. Imagine if some of you that are not tithing right now and those that, 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 that are not here that, that are not tithing, imagine if everybody simply tithes. And tithing is what belongs to God. It don't belong to nobody. It belongs to Him. If we double that, you know what? We would, or more, we would be really close to raising a million dollars. Now, I want you to brace yourself for this, okay? Another way that we can raise a million dollars 
is if those 150 people who attend here at least once a month gave $185 a month for 36 months. Now, you're thinking, man, that's a lot. That's a lot. I, 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 I can't do that. Look, hang on. If 150 people gave $185 a month for 36, we would raise more than a million dollars. That equals out to be $46.25 weekly, $6.61 daily. Go to that next slide. So, for the price of a value meal from McDonald's or Wendy's a day, a miracle happens. Listen, let me tell you something. May 28th, 2017, mark it down. We're going to do this. But God wants you to be a part of this miracle. You can go ahead and come to music. Some of you may be feeling, I, I, don't, I don't have anything to give. The class that Alex and Shannon are going to be teaching is going to teach you how to budget, how to save, how to pay off debt. My wife's going to it. Glory, hallelujah, shouting, woo! Sorry about that, darling. Because the truth is, most of us don't need more money. We just need less debt. And you know what? Most people waste money the same way every day. So, when God began to deal with me about giving to missions, he said, I want you to give to missions. I was unemployed. I was a college student, getting ready to graduate, and I didn't have any money. And the Lord said, yes, you do. What do you have in your hand? And I had a Diet Mountain Dew. <laughs> I used to drink Diet Mountain Dew all the time. He said, you know what? You've got money. I, back then... It was a dollar. He said, Don, I want you to give a dollar a day. Today, with inflation and cost of living, Diet Mountain Dew is, guess what? $2 a day. But you know what? If we gave up one drink a day, every day for 36 months or three years, everybody here could contribute $2,190. Isn't that incredible? As you look at that and as you pray and as God begins to reveal, do you know what He's going to do? He's going to show you things that you can sell. You know, we had, we had one offering back when we were at, at where Little Caesars is at that, that a man sold his guitar to give. That broke my heart. But he believed in it so much that he's willing to give it all up. But God will give you creative ideas. And you have been, God has moved on your heart right now. And, and you're thinking, no, we can do this. But you know what? Not at where we're at right now. But when you get involved, things will begin to change.
a pop a day. Now, throw that slide up. What are we going to do when we get a million dollars? Got that in mind, too. I'm about to blow your mind right here, okay? That's just half. Hang on. Once we get this million, you know what we're going to do? We're going to plant churches and unreached people groups in places where they've never heard the gospel. And I'm going there. And we're going to do that like we've never done it before. Why? Because God tells us to. Go make disciples of all nations. Why are we doing that? Because this is what he said. Then we're going to develop. I've been preaching this for a long time. Now it's time for it to happen. Okay? We're going to develop a scholarship where we're going to help kids that may not have qualified for certain scholarships through school. And we're going to give them a scholarship and help pay their way into college. We're going to do that. It's time to do that. I think a couple of years ago, there were 40 kids that had like a 4.0 or higher. And there's not scholarships for all of them. They were all deserving. There'll at least be one for one. Maybe more than that. What else are we going to do? We're going to do adopted school. You know what? We're going to go in. We've done this before. And we just helped and we just blessed the school. But maybe what you don't know, did you, did you know that the resource directors lost their food grant from the, with the backpack program? In other words, all the money that they had granted to them to buy food for kids who did not have enough food throughout the week and on the weekend, that is gone. Right now we have a ton of kids that need a summer feeding program. When we do this, we're going to be able to help people, children, more and more and more. But then we're going to do adopt the fire department. You know what? We have fire departments here that don't even have turnout gear. They don't even have the gear to respond to a fire. Now, we do a, we, we do a first responder service, and we celebrate them. We honor them. Now it's time to step up and go, listen, you know what will happen when you start doing that? People will start changing their mind about how they view the church. Yeah. They say, you know what? City of Hope Church, those people there, they really care. They really love us. They want to help. And you know what? The next time that they're needing somebody to help them and partner with, guess who's going to come to their mind? We should do that. You agree? I want to develop a vocational training center. Not everybody goes to college. Not everybody's going to have a desk job work with a degree. But you know what? There's some people that are very, very skilled with their hands or they're quick learning. You know what? We need to develop something like that so that they can get certified to be able to do other jobs. You agree with that? Yeah. We're going to develop an emergency preparedness ministry. So when we have record numbers of snowfall or ice storms or natural disasters, floods, you know that there was a severe flood up in Goose Rock just a few years ago. And hundreds and hundreds of homes were completely flooded out. And, and you know what? There was nobody there to be able to help all of the needs. The EMS responded. You know, they did what they did. FEMA responded. They did what they did. But after they did what they did, there was nothing left over for these people. And they're walking into their home with this being completely destroyed with mold and with rotting carpet. And they're having to go back in and live in that environment. We can do something about that. Wouldn't that be incredible? Yeah. We're doing it. 
I'm going to say this, but don't put it on the record, okay? I would like to buy rocking chair in. Turn it into a transition house. It's good. Come on. So that people that graduate from Chad's or Beth Blessing or wherever that, that cannot go back home because they're going to go back to living in a hellhole, they'll never be drug free without it. Turn that to a transition house yeah. where they can come. Yeah. You remember Zach said that we're not done building. That's right. Yeah, Brian. So if we. I felt the same way. So we're going to pray into whether we should buy this or not because if God wants us to have it, we'll get it. Just I like you heard the story here, didn't you? <laughs> That's right. Isn't that incredible? It makes me want to buy. You're sitting in a place that was impossible just a few years ago. God has been so faithful. We're not done. We're going to increase our support. You know why? We can't be a, we can't call ourselves a church when we have such a huge drug epidemic problem and we do nothing about it. So when our transition house gets filled up, we're going to continue to support. You know why? Because addiction's a life and death situation. And we're going to fund all of our ministries, nursery, A to Z, children's church, preteen, youth ministries. They're never going to have to say, can you help me again? We're going to pay off the church mortgage. We're going to increase church staff. And then we're going, to, we're going to develop a job shop ministry where we help people get employed. That's good. It's what we're going to do with a million dollars. Can you see it? Yeah. Do you believe it? Are you all in? Are you invested? Are you ready to respond? Because I'm telling you, this is going to happen. I can't tell, I can't give you a time frame on when all of this is actually going to take place. But after we do this, our community will never look at City of Hope Church the same again. Because it's not about building our reputation. It's not about seeing how many people we can get into a building. It's about making a difference in our community. And if we closed our doors right now, right now, would our community suffer because of it? Or would they say, I didn't even know they closed. I'd love to transform downtown so that when visitors come in and they see the beauty the landscape, how, how different it looks. And they come and they say, you know what? I thought this was supposed to be some run-down, horrible place. But they come and say, this is totally different than what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. We've already went to city council. We talked to them. We said, hey, listen. Is there anything that we can do here, free of charge, that would help improve the quality 
of our community. And they gave us a few things. So there's things that we can do. But you have to be all in. Because we're going to start seeing people saved. As people continue to get saved, you know what? We're going to have to be able to disciple them. God's going to bring people from other places that he's called to connect to this vision. You know why? Because he loves Manchester. And whether he uses me or he uses you, he'll find somebody that's going to believe and willing to do that. You know why? Because God loves Manchester. Do you? 18,500 people in this county alone don't go to church anywhere. 40 to 50,000 people within driving distance of this church are going to hell today if they were to die. And we don't invite. We don't invest. We don't pray for folks. God's going to have to send a revival that's going to transform us. I'm not saying everybody that way. God needs to light a fire within us so that we can step out. Stand with me. I know I've been long. I'm sorry, but not really sorry. <laughs> but I feel, I feel the presence of God right now in this place. In the book of Genesis, the Bible says the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. And when God said, the Spirit of God moved and created what He said. My God. I believe with all of my heart, the Spirit of God is hovering over this place and over our community, waiting for somebody to declare the Word of God over this community. Come on. And as we speak, the Spirit of God will move People will mobilize into action and change will begin to take place and transformation will begin to take place. The scripture says that God's people will volunteer in the day of His power. God is hovering, waiting for you to speak and respond. If you're here this morning and you're not 100% sure that if you died today that you would go to heaven I want you to know God is speaking to you and he says you know what your first step is surrendering your life to me and if he's calling you you need to respond and for those of you that are saved what I want you to do is ask God is there any areas of my life that I failed to surrender to you and if you failed in any way to surrender that to God, whatever it is, then you need to do business with God. The last thing is, if you've got it all together, pray in to this commitment card. And say, God, I believe. I believe. Father, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the vision that you've given us. Father, I believe that the things that you do, we shall do, and even greater than you shall we do, because you're gonna multiply the work through the lives of people. And I pray that you continue to call, and that you break away the hardness, 
and that you would open up deaf ears and that you would open up blinded eyes and that you would shatter hard hearts and that, God, that you would give us a greater heart, a generous heart, that, God, that we would respond with action, love in action. And, God, I pray you seal the words that have been spoken today. Let faith arise in their heart. Let it be sealed by the Spirit of God. Mobilize your people and bring those into this place, God, that you've called to connect so that, God, that we would begin to see the formation of transformation in our community. And we want to be used by you to do that in Jesus' name.